morning. How is everybody doing today? Last weekend of summer. At least it feels that way because kids start school this week. So that's it. That's when summer officially ends. It doesn't matter what the calendar says <laughs> or what the weather says. School ends when the kids go back or summer ends when the kids go back to school. I hope you had a good summer. I bet you're maybe like me, kind of looking forward to getting back into a normal swing of things. Um, we're glad to have you here. I have a question I wanted to start with. Um, what is the church? That's the question. What is the church? How are we to do church? Maybe the better question is, how are we to be the church? And how can we tell if we're doing a good job at it or not? These are the questions that the book of Ephesians answers. And for the next five weeks, six if you conclude today, we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. That can be on your phone, um, that can be a paper Bible. We have several Bibles at the ends of pews. Be sure you grab one. Um, they're marked, the Bibles in the pews are marked with a little yellow post-it, so you can find it pretty easily. But we're going to be going through Ephesians. Today, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 1. And um, scholars have called Ephesians the constitution of the church. And this is a declaration of what the church is. That's the first three chapters. And the next three chapters are how we are to be and do church. And so it's kind of like the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights. Except it's more of a declaration of dependence on Christ and then a bill of the right way to treat one another. That's the book of Ephesians. And so we're starting in chapter 1, which is pretty heady. And so that's why I want you to make sure you have a Bible in front of you, because if, you, if you're if you not reading along, you're, you're probably going to get lost. Fair warning, all right? Um, so it's hard to read Ephesians 1. It's a bit difficult language, but it's important. And I think it's really important right now because... I just sense that Christians in America were having a hard time being the church. I don't know if you have experienced any disillusionment with the church lately, but I have. I don't think I'm the only one. It's very surprising for me and for anyone who knows me because I grew up in the church and I have always loved the church and been dedicated to the church. I first fell in love with the church when I was eight years old. Uh, my dad was a pastor and my mom became very ill. And between his job that he had to work to provide for our family and taking care of my mom and her illness... Dad couldn't take care of my brother and I. And so families in the church took us into their homes. And we would live with different families and they would feed us and care for us and drive us to school every day. And then when we were able to go back home for about a month, every day brought us meals. 
every week, some lady would come and pick up our laundry and bring it back folded. Someone would come clean our house. Men would, you know, mow our lawn. The, the, the family of God, the church, just wrapped their arms around us. And even though it was this really painful and confusing time in my life, I was a child, I didn't know what was going on with my mom. What I understood then as a child was that nothing had the power to deliver healing to me and my family like the church. No government institution, no community group could deliver the hope and healing like the church. And so I grew up believing deeply in the church as the hands and feet of Jesus to bring hope and healing and restoration to the world. And yet lately I've experienced some disillusionment with that. It seems like about every month there's some story that breaks in the news. I don't know how much you've been reading the news lately. Of um, some prominent pastor that's fallen, um, embezzling or fraudulently using church funds or... Um, sexual harassment, abuse kind of stuff. And it just seems like the local church board or the denomination can never hold their local pastor accountable. And so we just see these stories after stories. And now it's not just the big churches. We're hearing stories of it happening in little churches too. We have the largest denomination in the United States under investigation by the FBI. Um... It's disillusioning. Jesus says, in both Matthew and Luke, he says, there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. And nothing secret that will not be made known and brought into the light. And what we've been seeing lately is that God is kind of shedding a light on some toxicity that we have in the church. That there's something about the way that we do church that either attracts um, narcissistic leaders or, and I think in many cases, something about the way we do church that takes good leaders and they just crumble under the weight of having to lead the church. And it's disillusioning because God's church, which is meant to bring healing and restoration, is hurting people. It's hurting pastors, it's hurting their families, and when a pastor crumbles, it hurts the people that they lead. God is shedding light on toxic patterns we have in the church, and none of it would, none of this kind of stuff would be coming to light if he didn't want it to. He's shedding light, not because he wants to destroy the church, not because he wants to ruin the church's name. He's shedding light because he wants to heal the church. And so, you know, we can, we have two choices. We can either kind of bury our heads in the sand and think, well, that's the problems of all those churches out there, and we're not susceptible to any of that happening here. Or we can realize God is trying to give us a wake-up call. 
And we can examine it and we can deal with it. And if we do so, then we can be part of this healing work that God is trying to do. One of the questions I keep asking myself as I evaluate this and as I see good people, both pastors and people, leave the church because they've been hurt. One of the questions I keep asking myself is, are we really building God's kingdom Or do we sometimes use God's name to build little kingdoms for ourselves? And how do we tell the difference? There seems to be this fine line that we struggle to know when we cross. Between doing everything for God's glory and then doing things for our glory that make us feel good about who we are. How do we know the difference? And when I read Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, this grand declaration of the glorious purpose of the church and all the unity that we have, there's part of me that on first reading, I'm just like, really? (laughs) Really, Paul? And then I have to remember the context that Paul wrote this in. Paul had spent most of his adult life traveling the world, preaching the good news about Jesus Christ and starting churches. And his letters to those churches make up about half your New Testament. So a good portion of your Bible. And when he writes this letter, the book of Ephesians is a letter to Christians living in Ephesus. When he writes it, he's actually in prison for preaching the gospel. And many of his churches are having problems. Um, for example, Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says this. This is what he writes. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. He wouldn't have to write, get rid of brawling, if they weren't brawling. Can you imagine that? If you read 1 Corinthians, that church was even more messed up. And I can only imagine Paul's disillusionment, thinking, I have devoted my life to building this. Like, I love God, I'm trying to do his work, and we're trying to do, and this is what it looks like? And I'm in prison for this? And so Paul writes this letter, this constitution of the church, and this was not only for the Ephesians, but we know it was circulated to other churches as well, because we have other ancient copies of the same letter, but it says to the church in Laodicea, to the church in... It was circulated to all the churches. He writes this constitution of the church of Jesus Christ, not because things were going well, but because things were going poorly. And so what I love about Ephesians is it's not just a declaration of what the church is and who we are meant to be. It is also an example of how to respond to disillusionment. With the church, because we can take cues from how Paul is responding by what he writes. So we're going to read through Ephesians 1 1 today. 
And um, because it is a, like the Declaration of Independence, but more like the Declaration of Dependence on Christ, it's a constitution, it is heady. It is weighty language, which when you hear it, you know it's really important, but it kind of goes and makes your eyes glaze over a little bit. Um, but we're going to dive into it and we're going to kind of break this down as we go. And I believe that in the end, you will find it very inspiring and it will inspire you to continue hoping, continue believing and continue being the church that Christ has called us to be. All right. So we're going to start Ephesians chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Already I'm feeling lost. All right. What does this mean, that he's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing? Well, Paul, he's going to use this language in the heavenly realms a few times. And he's not so much thinking about a specific location, like the heavens, like space, as he's think, talking about levels of authority. Okay, so we have, you know, the authority in your house, the authority in the city, the authority in the state, and we have these levels of authority. And if we go up, the highest level of authority is the heavenly realm. Okay, so in at the highest level authority, God has granted us every spiritual blessing, which means nothing down here can take it away. Every spiritual blessing. I can't even comprehend what that is. I don't even, I don't even think I begin to know the beginning of what that is, all those spiritual blessings. And in fact, Paul knew we would struggle to fathom this. And so a little later, like we're here, when we get up about over here, he actually prays that we'll be able to understand this and what it means, what our inheritance in Christ is. So continuing on, for he, God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love god predestined us to be adopted as sons through jesus christ now when it says predestined different churches interpret this different ways all right um about half your churches christian churches in america would subscribe to a belief that says when god predestines us basically he chooses who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved so he's like you're going to have faith you're not going to have faith you're going to have faith you're not going to have faith and it's just the sovereign will of god who does and who doesn't our vein of christianity that comes from the methodist um, wesleyan church pentecostal churches lots of churches we interpret it differently what we believe is that before god created the world he knew that we would sin and so he came up with a plan for our salvation and that would be that jesus christ the son of god would die for our sins to pay the penalty and god decided that that salvation would be given to anyone who believed in jesus christ 
And so instead of predestining specific people, God predestined the category of individuals that would be saved. And that category is anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? All right. So before the world, before the creation of the world, he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. Why sons? Why not sons and daughters? (laughs) Well, in ancient Rome, when someone was adopted as a son, they had full rights of inheritance, the same as a natural-born son. Daughters did not have full rights. So Paul writes knowingly to a group of men and women, and he says, you're adopted as a son, and you get full rights. But guess what? You're adopted as a son too. (laughs) You get full rights. You get the equal rights as he does. We are all adopted as sons in Jesus Christ. In accordance with his pleasure and will. God wanted to do this. It pleased him to adopt us. To the praise of his glorious grace. Okay, he uses that phrase a few times. So let me just break that down because it means nothing to me. Um, To the praise of his glorious grace. Grace is the free gift of God. He gives us stuff we don't deserve. That's grace. And because he gives us all of these blessings, we praise him. We thank him. So that's what Paul means when he says, to the praise of God for his glorious grace that he has shown us, which he has freely given us in the one Christ that he loves. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The word redemption there is the Greek word to free someone from slavery or from prison. That you pay their debt or you buy them so that they are now freed. So Christ has set us free with his blood. The forgiveness of sins, so we're not only set free, but we're reconciled with God. Our relationship is restored. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. Did you catch all that? (laughs) All right. The mystery. What is the mystery? The mystery is that all of us can look at this world and see that it's good, but it's not as it should be. And we wonder what God is going to do about it. And for all time, people didn't know what God's plan was. Or if God even had a plan. Or if he had abandoned us. That's the mystery. And what Paul is saying is that God has made known to us the mystery of his will, of what his plan is to restore everything. Through Christ, 
His plan of restoration comes through Christ, and it will be put into effect when things have reached their fulfillment. We're not there yet, but there will be a day when Christ returns, and there is a new heaven and a new earth that we get to live in. All right, we are over halfway through the difficult stuff. Verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So again, God's will was to save us. His plan was that Jesus Christ would die for our sins. And so he predestined that those who believed in Jesus Christ would be saved. That's in conformity with the plan that goes along with his will. In order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. We were, he's talking about the Jews. The Jews who were the first to believe in Christ, were the first to praise Jesus. And you also, now he's talking to the Gentiles in in the congregation. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Christ with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Until the redemption of those who are God's possession. To the praise of his glory. Some people ask, how can I know if I'm saved? How do I know what's going to happen when I die? And if I'll get into heaven or not, and if God will accept me or not. God gives us the Holy Spirit. Who when we accept the gift of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And gives us assurance of our salvation. That is God's seal upon us. That we do not have to worry We do not have to wonder what will happen when we die. And it is a deposit of our spiritual inheritance. We don't have every spiritual blessing yet. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit is working in us, bearing good fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith control, self-control, faithfulness. Okay, perseverance. That's the deposit, the initial down payment of that inheritance that we receive. Okay, for this reason, this gets easier to understand. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know God better. I also pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And God has placed 
all things under Christ's feet and appointed Christ to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That is the church. We are Christ's body. He is our head and we are his body. So let me just summarize this in a a little more friendly language, all right? Thank you, God, for how good you are and your graciousness with us, that you give us every spiritual blessing that we do not deserve and we can't even understand. Before God even created the world, he came up with a plan to save us. And although he knew we would reject him and rebel against us, the Father chose us anyways. And the Son redeemed us. The sin that we chose it enslaved us. It became addictive and it enslaved us to death. And Jesus Christ has set us free by dying for us. And the Father has forgiven us. He's adopted us. We now have this great inheritance. And the Holy Spirit has sealed us and given us the first down payment and deposit of that inheritance. And so we thank God, and we thank God not only for these blessings, but we thank God for one another. And we pray that we can know Him better and somehow know all these blessings that He has given us, including the incomparably great power for us who believe. That same power that we have access to, is the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead, ascend him into heaven, put everything under his authority. And now he rules over everything in a way that benefits us, to our benefit. And he has made us one body with Christ Jesus as our head. That is who we are. We are sinners who have been chosen, redeemed, set free, forgiven, adopted, sealed, and made into one body. With Christ Jesus ruling over all of it for our welfare. That's who we are. And what what ruins me about this every time I read it? In that last place, that last verse, verse 23, that says the church is Christ's body, the fullness of him, that he fills us in the church. What ruins me about that is it makes me realize that not only did Christ die for my sin long ago, but he is still taking my sin into himself. If I am a part of Christ's body, then that means my sin is a part of Christ's body. It's like he takes our disease into himself. Our sin, our disunity, all of our spiritual sickness, it's in him. 
And that's why we get disillusioned with the church. Because it's our own spiritual disease that we see in the body of Christ. And yet we have to believe that not only are we a sin and all in Christ, but that incomparably great power is also in him. That power that raised Christ from the dead and that can heal us in every way we need healing. And the Holy Spirit is just the first deposit of it. And the rest of the healing is coming. The rest of the spiritual blessings are coming. So let's get practical. When you are disillusioned with the church, because let's face it, we don't always look like what we should. What do you do? Well, we can follow the example Paul sets for us in Ephesians chapter 1. If you look at what he does... Verses 3 through 14. What is he focused on? He focuses on what God has done and not what people are doing. That is the first thing. To reorient our minds to what and keep reminding ourselves of what God has done. And don't focus on what we see the Christians around us doing. That's our first step to walking back the disillusionment. The second step is to accept, and I should have put patiently accept, that the Holy Spirit is the deposit of the spiritual blessings that are to come. We have not reaped the full inheritance yet, but the Holy Spirit is the deposit and he's working. And we have to patiently accept that. The third thing we see Paul do is he's grateful for his brothers and sisters in Christ. It is so awesome. He says, for this reason, and he's writing to these people who are brawling, remember? This is the same group of people. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Paul is grateful for his brothers and sisters in Christ and he is focused on the good things that the Holy Spirit is achieving through them and doing in them. It can be so easy to focus on all the negative things. And Paul practices gratitude for the good. And then the next things that he does... As he prays for them. He prays two specific things for his brothers and sisters in Christ. The first thing that he prays is that all of them, and he includes himself in it, but all of us would know God better. That's the first thing he prayed. And the second thing he prayed was that we would better know the hope to which we are called. The spiritual inheritance that we have. The incomparably great power that we have that we don't seem to know how to access very well. He prays that we would better know the hope 
than the spiritual inheritance that we are called to. So those are five things to do. Just practical things. When we feel disillusioned with the church, we focus on what God has done, not on what other people are doing. We patiently accept the Holy Spirit as the deposit of the good things to come. We are grateful for one another. We give thanks for one another. And we pray for one another. These next five weeks, we're going to be diving into the book of Ephesians chapter by chapter. Um, And as I said, the first three chapters are kind of the declaration of who the church is and who we are. The last three chapters get very practical about how we are to be the church. And I just want to challenge you to read the book of Ephesians every week. Six chapters may sound intimidating, but like each chapter is just one page. So it's probably like five to six pages in your Bible. Um, so you can read one page a day. You could read it all in one sitting. Um, but either way, read it every week. Because these are some very deep truths, and we just want to let them sink into the depths of our souls. And there will be some things that you read that are challenging. There will probably be some things that might be a little offensive. We will get there. We'll process it together. But I'm going to ask you just to commit to reading Ephesians once a week for the next five weeks, all right? Now, when I started here, I challenged you to pray every day, Lord, teach us to pray. And we prayed that through our series on the Lord's Prayer. Well, our prayer efforts do not end when the Lord's Prayer series ends. All right? So, I'm going to ask you to adopt a new prayer for this series. And I'm going to let you write it. So, there are post-it notes, like at the ends of pews. You can grab one. And write a one-sentence prayer. You can put it in your Bible as a marker for Ephesians. And every time you open Ephesians to read it, you can also pray your one-sentence prayer. If you're going to use your phone, that's great. I know my daughter loves to listen um, to the Bible on her YouVersion Bible app. That's another great option. So maybe you want to program the prayer in your phone. One-sentence us prayer. Not a me prayer, but an us prayer. Because the Lord, he taught us to pray for all of us in the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation. So it's going to be an us prayer. Some suggestions. Lord, help us understand Ephesians. Um, Lord, help us better be the church, be your church. Or help us more fully be your church, maybe. You can adopt Paul's prayer. Lord, help us to know you better and more fully understand the hope to which we are called. Those are all good options, but go ahead and just write a one-sentence prayer for these five weeks as we go through and study about what the church is and who we are called to be and how we go about doing this. I need a post-it and a pen. 
Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Okay, I I wrote mine. This is what I've got down. Lord, help us better know you and be your church. So it's going right there. All right, so this is the journey we're on for the next five weeks, okay? You with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you knew how much I wrestled with this. And I wrestled with the book of Ephesians. Because sometimes it seems too good to be true, and sometimes it it just challenges me, Lord. But Heavenly Father, I pray you reorient my eyes and the eyes of all of us to what you are doing. We get so bogged down on what one another is doing. God, help us to stay focused on what you have done and what you are continuing to do. Lord, we pray that the eyes of our heart would see what the Holy Spirit is doing in us and among us. And God, we pray that you will just tune our hearts to be in accord with your will and your Holy Spirit. God, where we have been blind, let us see what things we have purposely ignored bring to our attention. Where we have been ignorant, of the right way to go about doing things. God, teach us. Teach us how to do things better. And teach us how to passionately run after you and your purposes and not our own. God, this church is your church. It is not our church. It is your church. And so we pray you will bring us into complete unity as we follow you. God, we get distracted so easily. So just make it clear for us. Speak to us. Remind us, God, even now of our commitment to read through Ephesians and to pray these prayers. Holy Spirit, keep bringing up to our mind like, oh yeah, I can... Read some Ephesians right now instead of flipping through Facebook. That's just me personally. But God, bring it to our minds. Help us to be focused on the things that you care about and that you are doing. God, we thank you for your incomparably great power that raises the dead and heals. And God, we need your healing from our sin, 
from our spiritual sickness. God, we also need your healing just from hurts. From past hurts we have and wounds that we carry with us. And so, Father, we pray that you, as we study your word and we focus on you, that more of the Spirit's power to heal would be unlocked in our lives. And we pray that at the end of these five weeks, God, we will be more unified in you than we have ever been before. We pray these things, we just lay out these desires and wishes before you. And we pray for them in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.